Wednesday here in Charlotte. But boy, Dave, Dave Friedman alongside I'm Mike Pacheco. Do we have a lot to talk about here on the Bearded Carcast? Yeah, occasionally we make good decisions and holding off on recording the Carcast until the World Series concluded was one of those because, wow, there is a lot to start with. Let me ask you very bluntly, what is the story of the World Series? You know, it's unfortunate because it should be, you know, uh, it, it should be the, the uh, steal of home. It should be Cash's call in game six. It should be Mookie Betts, you know, breaking out of his slump with a home run. It should be, you know, five different things. And I think it's going to be Justin Turner. Uh, not that it's his fault testing positive, but tested positive during the game. They pulled him in the eighth inning and they, they had him quarantined or isolated. Isolated is probably the better way to put it. And then when they won, he came out to celebrate, and I think that is going to become the, unfortunately, the narrative. But if tell me, this is not the most twenty twenty thing. You know, people talk about the internet being undefeated when people put all these funny memes out there, right? Twenty twenty is undefeated as far as just how nuts it is. I really thought at one point I was watching the World Series and it kind of felt normal. Yeah, it was at a neutral site and it was a limited crowd, but these had been the two best teams all year and they were playing this incredibly exciting, fun World Series. And then it just kind of came crashing down with COVID. And it's so weird to watch the end of the game I don't know exactly. I I am not a big pregame, postgame guy. It's almost unlikely that I still had the television on when Kevin Burkhart came on in the postgame and said, and Justin Turner tested positive. And all my brain could do was go back to, is there an asterisk on the season? This was this really strange, weird year. Is it legitimate? All of those sort of things. And I have like all of these grandiose baseball takes and opinions with there were more home runs and more percentage of runs produced by home run and more strikeouts. And you mentioned the stealing of home. The Dodgers were just spectacular. All playoffs with two outs. Maybe the Dodgers avenged two World Series where the teams they were playing against them cheated and they won. And I, th- there's just there's no way. Well, All it should be, it should be, think about. It should be Kershaw. We should be talking about Kershaw right now. For sure. And all I can think about is the shortened season, the COVID situation throughout the season. I mean, Randy Arozarena is one of the great stories mm-hmm. in baseball history. I mean, came out of nowhere, no. traded in a deal that no one even remembered took place, and just had this magical postseason. And, I mean... I feel like Justin Turner, and, and I know we don't know how he contracted COVID, and you said that, you know, it's not his fault. Well, it might be his fault. I mean, they're tested every day during the World Series, and no one had it. I mean, he had to come in touch with it somehow, and when you're supposed to be in a relative bubble, I mean, how exactly did that occur? Now, maybe it was a bus driver or, or a clubhouse person or a fan. I mean, we, we, we don't know. But after a while getting into a groove and an enjoyment of, of baseball, 
all of a sudden it just seems to me to have a huge black eye. And yeah, the condensed season wasn't perfect, but they made the best of it. But how in the world is he a part of the celebration? I mean, forget how he contracted it. Forget the really bizarre testing. They they overnight the testing or they, they send a day of to Utah and they found out something in the second inning. They didn't get a second test because there wasn't time for it. So they retested the first sample and it came back. It came back positive again and they take him out. All of that is unfortunate and bad but then to have him celebrating without a mask on that's criminal well and they let him well he didn't really give them an option he from what i understand from what i've been reading in the reports um and there's actually i don't know if mike greenberg had jeff passing on yeah on espn and i i i almost do this to you once a year trying to get your reaction but basically greeny asked the question is what you just posed to me, like, how in the world did Justin Turner get back on the field? <laughs> Jeff Passon said, well, he walked. <laughs> um, but, you know what, I mean, and that's, but that, that gets to, like, how do you stop him? I mean, do you, do you get law enforcement involved? Do you have MLB security? I mean, they did, they let him take, I, I, I mean, guess. the protocols are what the protocols are. And even beyond the rules, he just put in jeopardy his entire team. Mike, what if the, the Dodgers had not won last night? What if the Rays had won? Would there be a, a seven-day or a 14-day break? I know, but probably not if, if it was just him. But maybe I mean that, it, this is the funny but contract thing. tracing. He's been he's been by all of these people. Yeah, but but here's the other thing too, though. It's not like, um, it, it's I mean I understand and I, I I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm bringing up this point too, right? There's the fact that he's already he'd already tested positive. He was already around them before they found out. So, uh. Is it is it logical to assume that if he had spread it, it was already spread? Or can we assume that, like, we, we don't know the point of which infection continues to occur, right? And if he's, I mean, and again, this could right? still be, technically this could still be a false positive, I think. I mean, I, I know he tested positive, but it, it just seems like a... It just seems like an anomaly based on the bubble and and like you said, well, I mean, we don't know. Maybe you know he ran into a random person, like a bus driver or somebody that wasn't quite in the bubble, and you know I don't know. Um, I think what's going to be interesting, and, and I don't know what the plan is. I mean, I, I assume they're going to, even though the series is over, I got to believe that they're still going to test these people for another, you know, at least check in on them in a couple of days and test them again. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything. About that. I don't know, and I'm not so sure we're going to get the results of those tests. But, yeah, my guess is if he is COVID possible, positive, if it is not a, a false positive, there are going to be a bunch of other dudes with it. I mean, and, and that is, you want to talk about taking a positive and turning it into a negative or having the post-haste and, and the reaction. I mean, I, I just don't know how we're going to think of anything else when it comes back to this baseball season other than they fought and fought and fought. So instead of 100 games, we got 60 games and we got these bizarre no crowd games and then they played in this sort of bubble and it was a really fun World Series except it got ruined at the end. I mean, and that's just so unfortunate because, I mean, I was watching the game last night and Blake Snell gets taken out of the game. And I looked at Nicole, my wife, and I said, 
my grandfather died two or three years ago, a lifelong baseball fan. He would not recognize the sport that is currently being played. Oh, <clears throat> completely. You know, and, and to step away from COVID for a minute, uh, you know, baseball, and I wouldn't even say traditionalists. I mean, I just think people in baseball, people have studied baseball, baseball players, uh, almost to a person, a lot of people roundly criticized uh, taking that, that move of taking Blake Snell out. And, and that's only one piece of the equation. I mean, there's there's a lot of strikeouts. There's a lot of home runs. There's, uh, you know, there's guys. The shift. There's the shift. There's guys, uh, you know, you go into your bullpen and guys are coming out, uh, throwing 100 miles an hour, uh, and not just one guy. Uh, you know, how about Julio Arias last night? I mean, you know, he was, yep. the, he, I mean, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a different game. And, you know, <clears throat> is it a better game? You know, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it all goes hand in hand with the pace of play, too. And we've talked about this a lot. But, you know, you see a lot of stretching counts to three and two. You know, guys are trying to swing for the fences instead of trying to move a guy over necessarily. So <clears throat> it is. The it, ball's it, never in play. Right. The ball is never in play. I mean, there are strikeouts and there are home runs and there's very little fielding. And when there is fielding, the analytics and the the shifts are so good. The, the idea of putting three hits together to score a run is is so much more difficult than just swatting one over the fence. So you get exactly what you just described. Guys swinging at all times for the fences. Now, this isn't quite in the same arena, but um, Randy Arena when he stole home, what I thought was interesting was, um, I forget who the other runner on base was, uh, but that runner should have tried to get in a rundown. And yeah, it was Manny Margot who yeah. tried to steal home. I'm sorry, Margot. Yeah, and and, and yeah, I mean you're right. They, they, there there are other pieces to the puzzle. That was such a bold, wonderful play. Like that that was old school baseball trying to manufacture a run and putting pressure on the defense. And like that's the play, and that's the series. It was typified by so much excitement and strategy and fun, and then. It just kind of got ruined at the end. But but let's talk about the big, the big question of last night's game, the baseball portion of the game. And it is taking out Blake Snell, who hasn't thrown that many pitches, who is pitching really, really well. When that happened, what did you think? So I, I believe that there is a blend of old and new. I mean, I do think that analytics should play a part in making decisions. I don't think it should be the overriding. I think sometimes your your eyes and what you see has to maybe override that. And I, I thought, uh, I believe, maybe this is old school. I, I believe you're right. If, if a guy's still looking strong, he hadn't thrown, what was he at, like 75 or 80 pitches? I mean, he wasn't at a high Less pitch count. Less than that. It was like 73 or yeah, something. Yeah, 72 was the actual number, I think. So, I mean, he's under 80 pitches, and he still was looking strong. I mean, he he just got Mookie Betts out. Um, you know, and there is, and this isn't just a, a raise thing. Um, you know, there, there are some teams that they don't want their starting pitcher to see a lineup for the third time. Um, the Dodgers being one of the them. The Dodgers being one of them. I, I Look, I think he should have kept him in there. I think he's 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 your ace. He, he's 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 on. And, you know, sometimes I think you got to go against the numbers and you got to go with what you see. 
everything I have thought and watched about baseball for 40 years says you've got arguably your best pitcher throwing great. Why would you take him out? But the numbers say so dramatically strongly he weakens to a very large degree third time through the order. And more importantly, you can't have an organizational philosophy on day one of the season and day two and day three and day 40 and day 60 and in the first playoff game and in the eighth playoff game and in the 14th playoff game and then change it in game six of the World Series. That would not be being true to you and to who you are. If you think the Rays had an amazing season, well, you have to credit the ways in which they got there. This is how they did it. So why would anyone think that they should change what they did to make it to this point in time? Well, there's a very simplistic answer to that. And that is, um, it's more of a management style, right? So some people like to do things on the fly. You know, they just, uh, you know, I don't know, take our president, for example. Guy likes Raise to, your hand if you're one of those people. <laughs> there are no hands being raised at my house. No, but there are some people that just make stuff up as they go along. They, they go with their gut instinct. Um, I've always been told that you have to have a plan. And one of the reasons why it's great to have a plan is that you can change the plan when you need to. Now, I understand what you're saying. There, there's, um, I think that's the, that, that this goes to the feel in the touch of the game, right? I mean, you're right. I mean, why would you want to change? Because you're coming at this from a very analytical, and you should. I understand that. But I think I don't that, want people to mess up a good plan. Do, yes, but sometimes plans need to be changed, and and because that, there that's are true, there are millions of. See, the problem. The only the problem with numbers is, is there. It's a percent. You're talking about percentages, right? So a percentage of the time, this is going to work. Sometimes, I mean, that's why people like to gamble, right? I mean, who who makes. Uh, you know, crazy bets, and sometimes they pay off. Um, Who would you rather gamble with, somebody based on analytics or somebody based on feel? I think you have to. This is where I think having the feel of the game comes into play. you got to know when to trust the numbers and when to trust your eye, when to trust what you're seeing. That's different. See, I think that's what that's what is the difference in all this, right? If you are just strictly ruled by the numbers, yeah, you'll get burned by it every now and then, and you'll probably win more games than you lose. But maybe taking that next step, that next, you know, squeezing that extra ounce of victory comes from trusting, using all your information and then making the best decision possible. This goes to the question that we talk about every winter, the foul up by three. I do not believe there should ever be a conversation about it. You should always foul up by three. There's three seconds, six seconds left in the game. You commit the foul. You send the other team to the free throw line. Occasionally, you are going to get burned by that. The numbers tell you fouling up three is the right play. The Rays were something like 40 and 20 during the regular season and advanced three rounds into the World Series. They got to game six of the World Series. I I just, I can't imagine changing your game plan at that point in time. Do I think that Blake Snell is better than Ian Anderson? Does he give them a better opportunity to win? I don't know. I haven't watched all the race games, but the numbers say the answer is Blake Snell, third time through the lineup, does not give them a better chance to win. The numbers are unbiased. They are unemotional. 
But the numbers also can't tell you when a guy has 80% left in the tank versus 60% left in the tank. Right, but the numbers do tell you third time through over all of these games and all of these years, it's not like you just got to Tampa Bay. That's the the tipping point. So they might not tell you exactly how much is left on the tank. It's not like looking at your cell phone and seeing 64% power left, but a bevy of information and past performances say, well, this is about when it starts to fall apart. No, that, and that's aside fair. Aside from – yeah. Good. I was just going to say, but aside current- from the Blake Snell situation, it's amazing to me that baseball, this is the 2020 baseball season. The starter, the opener, whatever we call that role, that, 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 that guy that begins a game and only pitches to the first inning or the first five batters or, or however long he goes, that was invented in 2018 by the Rays. In the 2018 playoffs, Liam Hendricks started a playoff game for the A's and they were widely criticized when he gave up runs and they lost the game to the Yankees. And in game six of the World Series in 2020, the Dodgers ran a bullpen game and were there was no discussion of it. There, there was no questioning. There was no. The game has so dramatically changed. Uh, it, it, it brings up the question: If you were to build a baseball team, how would you go about doing that? You know, you you're starting an expansion franchise. You know, you have what, whatever the the number is, a hundred million dollars to to build a player pool and to develop players and minor league and all of that. I mean, th- there was a time that the starting pitcher was so far and away the most valuable guy in baseball. But now, if he can only pitch through the lineup twice and throw 70 pitches, you're still going to have to go get another, I don't know, 9 to 18 outs. It seems to me his value is still very high, but not what it once was. I think you're uh, you're 20% wrong. and what, Or maybe even... 40% wrong. And what I mean by that is I still think you need to have three, you know, you still need to have your ace. You still need to have a, a strong number two, strong number three. I think when you get into four and five, I think that's when you, um, I, where what you're talking about is possible. You know, are we saying the, the starting pitcher is going the way of the running back in football? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I, I still think that you have to have a core starting pitching group, whether that's four four starters. I still think five starters is the way to go. Um, I, I think having a the starter quote unquote thing, um, or the, the closer starting, or the, the 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 guy coming in to to start an inning and then go. I don't think that's sustainable every day. I don't think that's sustainable five times because it taxes your bullpen. Absolutely, I still think you need to have you still got to have your core starting pitchers. Um, in my opinion. So, I mean, if I were building a baseball franchise, an ex- expansion, I would go still be traditional. I still, I mean, to me, it's like smash mouth football. You still got to have what works, what's traditionally worked, and you still got. I mean, you still got to have because you, you can't, you can't do that every day. Like that's just now. How much value would you put on defense when all of the outs are recorded? via strikeout how much emphasis would you put on pitchers who know how to pitch versus guys that can throw 100 miles per hour well you're making an assumption that um if you look over the history of the game right right now pitching is dominant 
Um, but when you start seeing at lower levels guys throwing 100, eventually, it's my contention, eventually, uh, good hitters will catch up to that. Now, not, not I'm not saying every hitter will. But I, I think I think slowly over time people that they'll get their timing down like that that's it, it's still going to be an advantage, but it's not going to be the advantage it is right now. I could be wrong about that. Um, you know, pitchers have made the adjustment to throw that hard with control, so I think it's natural to think that batters will make an adjustment. And I think when you see something long enough and with good technique, and you know, th- th- someone's going to figure out a way how to get better at hitting those guys. So I think that may change. So you don't think it's like golf. You you think that right now we're in a moment in time where power pitching and sluggers rule the day. But unlike golf where it seems like guys that can hit the ball 350 yards off the tee are at an enormous advantage and are going to win almost every major and, and there doesn't seem to be any, any end in sight, you think it's going to tilt back towards – building runs guys that can bunt and move runners and I, I wouldn't and, go that far back like, I got I don't know I'm not saying it's going to go back to 1920s baseball what I'm saying is though I think and whether it's an adjustment made on the mound if there's you know some sort of something that they're going to do to make it easier for the hitters at some point there's going to be a more of a reckoning I think between the power pitching and the game that we have seen again I don't think it's going to go back to small ball per se. I'm not saying when that. When you say a reckoning, is that a rules change or just this, you know, we had the run and shoot offense for a long time and then that stopped working and then we have the West Coast offense and then we have the the read option game that it, it's it's a trend or are you yes, saying I'm that, saying it's a trend. You know, someone higher up Huh. I think it's interesting. A trend. I mean maybe that's right. Well, here's the, here's right. the other question I, and I don't know the answer to this and I hate posing things when I don't know the answer to things. Not that we're in a courtroom, but um I haven't really seen like oh, I haven't seen any overnights. I haven't seen really a lot of the baseball, the World Series ratings. So I mean, this may be ratings dictated too because and this is my contention to going back to what we just talked about before. I think it's a big issue that ball the baseballs aren't getting more in play. I think that's the game's not as exciting to watch too. when you're. I, I think it's more exciting when you see, uh, you know, a guy. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm coming from youth baseball, so forgive me, but you know, you know, put a ball in play, see what happens. Maybe a guy boots it. You know, yeah, okay, maybe nine times out of ten the shortstop's going to field it and throw to first, but you know, maybe you know, maybe not. Like, or you know, that uh, the Marco. I play, agree. You know, the steal I mean, of home that was great. The, the po- Exact. Not only was the steal of home great, the play last night that gave the Dodgers the lead where the infield wasn't fully pulled in and you had an incredibly fast runner at third base with less than two outs, ground ball to first base, runner coming home, play at the dish, and the the, the infielder, I think it was Choi, just wasn't far enough in that his, his throw was late trying to get Mookie Betts. That's exciting. That's bang, bang. That That's what we... What we watch for or at least what i watch for i mean i'm tired of the home runs strikeouts are not interesting to me like like that's home run derby that's an exhibition that doesn't that doesn't do it for me rallies defensive plays tight plays strategy i like all of that stuff a lot better and maybe you are more optimistic than i am 
I just I kind of feel like the page is turned. I mean, it's just so hard with the switches, with the 100-mile-per-hour fastballs. It, it's hard to put three hits in a row together or a walk and a steal or a sacrifice or a fly ball to move a runner. It's just so much easier to have guys that are bodybuilders, unbelievable athletes swinging for the fences all the time. Well, and there is, I mean, and you've seen this, you and I have seen this for over 20 years. I mean, you look at the Yankees farm system, um, you know, when, when I was with the Intimidators and we played Greensboro when they were when they were the Yankees single-A team, I mean, that, there wasn't a position player under six feet. Right, and, I mean, and, and that's just smart. I mean, that, that like, you have to understand how the game is played and you have to evolve, and, and I, I get it. I just don't think it's an incredible product. Now, the World Series was a great product because there were a lot of exciting plays. There were also a lot of home runs. There were also a ton of strikeouts. But there was enough of that intrigue and excitement mixed in. But it is trending very strongly towards home run derby. It is. And the one thing I will say about baseball, it is always changing, is always evolving. So maybe you're right, but I, I still think it's got a chance to – uh, I just think for the health of the game, it needs to get back to where it was. But you know, maybe this is you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the future. Maybe I'm clinging on to a a faded dream, Dave. Well, I mean, the games changing don't have to be a bad thing, and and there will be rule adjustments, and there will be player development, and, and things things can get interesting in a variety of ways. One thing I wanted to mention before we close the book on baseball season is, I found myself frequently uh, going out during the game and walking uh, our dog. And normally I would put the game on my phone, the the video, and I, I would watch. But I found myself over the last few weeks listening to a lot of the radio coverage of the games. And Charlie Steiner and Rick Monday were doing the games for the Dodgers radio network. And... You know, calling a World Series would be very much a career highlight, a very special experience. It is my understanding that the Rays announcers were on site. I do not believe the Dodger announcers were. What must that have been like calling the team that you have followed for years, for Monday, someone that he's been involved with for 50 years and sitting in a studio? Yeah, I mean anticlimactic, right? Um, but can it, you imagine if we did the Big South Championship game from your living room? <laughs> well, can we do that? <laughs> no, I mean, kidding. like, how yeah. weird would that have been? Very strange, very strange. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you could. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, twenty twenty has been. I don't know what the right way to put this is, but it seems to me. When you look back at 2020, maybe even the last four years, I don't like, you know, I think with colleges now you have like a history major and you have like, you know, biology, business. I think years from now, this is going to be a 2020 major. Just how crazy this year has been. Yep. But I don't know. Yep. I mean, no. calling, I think it would be, um, I hate to use the word anticlimactic, but I think that's the only word that comes to mind. It would be, yeah, I mean, you're so thrilled that you're calling a World Series game, but to be doing it, you know, it, it it would be even more surreal if they were doing it, and I assume they did their road games from Dodger Stadium, um, or maybe at the you know. Uh, I think that's right. Um, I know the Red Sox did all their 
away uh, games from Fenway. Um, they did not. I travel. mean, I guess, I guess when I was driving home from the game after the post game show, I would just be really happy I wasn't within a thousand miles of Justin Turner. This is the Bearded Carcast, Episode 8, with Dave Friedman. I am Mike Pacheco. We've covered the uh, World Series, all the changes in Major League Baseball. We didn't get to labor stoppage, but I'm sure there's plenty of time to talk about that later. But uh, turning to the NFL, Dave, uh, and, you know, it's been an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, one of the storylines coming into this year, and I think now is an appropriate time to bring this up, was, you know, you had the divorce of Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick in New England. Bill Belichick obviously... Uh, coaching in New England still, and a uh, new quarterback in Cam Newton when he when he wasn't out for COVID reasons. Um, and then Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers, a fresh start, Bill, uh, you know, going to getting away from Bill Belichick, Bruce Arians, his new head coach, and Tampa Bay is off to obviously a better uh, string of success to start the year than New England has. New England doesn't even have a winning record right now. A lot of questions swirling about what's going on there. Is, is it too early to uh, to proclaim Tom Brady, the the winner in this? Yes. Yes, it's too early. And unfortunately, because it's not satisfactory, we're not going to be able to come up with an answer because the Patriots were largely devoid of talent around Tom Brady last year. And they had a, by Patriots standards, kind of so-so year. And by most team standards, a pretty good year. And then Tom Brady left and they are still largely devoid of talent, and they aren't very good. But that doesn't end the story because there's a whole lot of season to go. There, there's, you know, 10 more weeks. They can very much still make the playoffs. I think, do they play Buffalo this week? I mean, they play a, a huge, huge game in the AFC East at Buffalo this week. And we'll learn a lot. But the question you asked about Cam Newton and about Tom Brady, I mean, I I have jokingly referred to Tom Brady as the decaying carcass of Tom Brady. (laughs) I don't think anyone believes he is remotely close to the player he was five or ten years ago. But if you take a good player. And that's what Tom Brady is at this point. He's a good player, an average player. Some weeks he's maybe a very good player. In other weeks he looks like he's 40-some years old. But if you take that guy and you put him around really good offensive players, he's going to have a lot of really good moments. I mean, they've got good receivers. They just signed Antonio Brown. They've got good running backs. They have an excellent offensive coach and Bruce Arians. Like, I am maybe surprised that the Buccaneers have been as successful as a team because I thought their defense coming into the year wasn't particularly good. And I'm very suspicious of Brady by and large. I do give Belichick a ton of the credit. But the Patriots have either drafted or done poorly in free agency in a lot of ways over the last two or three years. Their offense stinks. They don't have good players. I think they might have the worst skill position talent in the NFL. They just don't have 
good players. Who's their best receiver? Speaking of decaying carcasses, right? I mean, Ju- Julian Edelman looks like he's on the brink of retirement. Their running backs are a mixed bag. The offensive line is so-so. They've got a couple of standout defensive players. They had a lot of guys opt out because of COVID. I still believe that Belichick is going to find a way. I've been saying now for a month, I liked the game plan in week one for the Patriots when Cam Newton was a battering ram. He ran the ball 15 times or 17 times or whatever it was. I think they need to run a college offense where he's running read options and he's... But but it's also possible that there's just not a lot of tread left on those tires. Well, I, I think two things are at play with that. I think you hit the nail on the head with the talent level. And some of that was unexpected because of COVID. There were a bunch of guys that opted out, uh, you know, uh, Eugene Chung among them, who's, you know, and that's still a pretty good secondary, but yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, maybe we don't give Tom Brady enough credit for seeing the handwriting on the wall. You know, maybe he was like, look, the, we're going to have a good defense. I still don't have any good skill players except for Edelman. The, you know, the running back situation is you always a revolving door. Now, James White has been pretty steady um, as a receiver uh, at the, from the running back position, but, you know, what concerns me, I, I, I like, I agree with you. I think, Bill Belichick will figure it out. I don't know if he's going to have enough time to figure it out this year. Uh, I think he's going to figure it out this week. I think he's going to figure it out this week. Well, this is a big week for them. Yeah. Because they can't – I mean, at two and four, they can't fall much further behind. Yeah, I mean, the Bills, to me, are like good, not great, well-coached, really well-built. They're kind of the opposite of the Patriots in that I think they have drafted and I think they have used free agency well. But nobody is like – way rooting excited about them I mean, if you're in buffalo of course they're they're much better than they've been over the last few decades but they don't look to me like a super bowl contending team they look to me like a playoff team now i liked the patriots last week against the 49ers and they got smacked in the face maybe they're going to get smacked in the face again this week but bill belichick has earned credibility and I don't think they're facing a monster in the Bills. And I think they will have the right game plan. Can they execute the game plan? Cam Newton threw a couple of passes last week that reminded me of the last couple of years when we talked about, is Cam Newton hurt? Is he unengaged? Well, all of those sort of things. And I, I don't know, Mike. I, I'm not sure how we're to feel about Cam Newton right now. If the season ended today, if there was a COVID emergency the season ended and we skip forward six months to NFL free agency was is Cam Newton's career over is he a starter somewhere is he a backup I mean based on the first six seven weeks of the NFL season it feels very much like it did last year when we said man it's only a few years ago that he was the MVP he's really flashed some signs but boy, he's had a lot of really bad games, injury-prone, all of that, too. I feel like we've seen his entire Panther career in the first six weeks in New England. And all astute observations, I would add this to advance the story forward. I think it. I think Cam Newton is the anti-Allen Iverson. We're talking about practice, Dave. I think when we've seen Cam struggle a lot of times— uh, in the last three years, not I'm not going back his entire career, but in the last two or three years, I think the fact that he hasn't gotten a lot of practice reps, um, and I'm not saying that hurts him long term in the sense of just by not practicing, but I'm just saying like more micro, like week to week. I think he's a guy that 
has to be involved during practice, has to get his reps in, and when when he doesn't fully isn't fully prepared that way, I th- I just think that's when you've seen him struggle the last couple of weeks. You know, I mean, he was he did have um, that one bad game before COVID, not great game, but uh, I think he's a guy that he needs to get into rhythm during the week, and I think that helps fuel him on Sunday. I think you know a lot of uh, Ron Rivera would talk a lot of guys, particularly veteran guys. You know, you could miss a day here and there. I think Kim can miss a day here and there. But I think the fact that, uh, you know, he had to sit out with this COVID thing, I think maybe that's disrupted his rhythm a little bit. And, you know, clearly he's not the same he was in week one. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I, it'll be very interesting to see if he can turn that around, if, if it is different or if this is just who he is at, at this stage, which I guess you would say concisely is – inconsistent well and i will say this about cam um i think he's always had a good feel for himself um sometimes i don't know that he's he's portrayed that in the in the in the right way um but you know when he was in charlotte and i you know i I can't speak to why this was but i mean he was he did the the he did the required media availability and that was it um you know in boston he's been on he's on um now this is part of a sponsor deal, and so I think he might be getting paid. So that may be a completely different issue. Think, um, but no, I mean as far as you know, like nobody put together a sponsored package for him to be on like WFNZ here. So, uh, but well, but, yeah. but in Boston on WEI they have Patriots Monday, and Bill Belichick uh, is on the afternoon show, and the starting quarterback is is on the the morning show. And uh, so Cam Newton, and I'm not being facetious when I, when I say this, Cam Newton has been on Boston radio more in one one season, yep. half a season, than Cam Newton was, you know, ever <laughs> in nine years. Dollars talk. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'm not I mean, saying, you know, no I'm not question. criticizing that, that uh, but I'm just, the, the reality is he just wasn't, wasn't on, on, so, but he was very forthcoming. You know, he said, um, they asked him a question about, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically, I don't know if it was, are you embarrassed or, you know, but basically it was about the performance on Sunday. And Cam's like, Hey, driving home, I said to myself, Hey, if you keep doing this, you're not going to be this, you know, you won't be the starter for long. You know, this will be more, you know, being pulled will be permanent. So, I mean, he's self-aware and he knows he has to play better. And, you know, he, he has done well in pressure situations. Um, you know, some would argue maybe not the case in the Super Bowl against the the Broncos, but you know he did win a national championship. Um, he's had some good years, some good games in the NFL. I still think Dave. I still think he has the ability to pull it together. Um, but I think the rubbers hit the road. I think I think his future, his future's on the line. I mean, it has been coming in. Totally agree. But I mean, he totally. This agree. is like make or break, put up or shut up for him. Yep, I I, I wholeheartedly agree. So the Patriots are. A three and a half point dog at Buffalo. I think we're both four and three. Who do you like? Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna ride the Pats here because um you got two caged animals. Uh you know, you got uh two two caged competitors. You got uh you know, two guys that this is a big game for them, Bill Belichick and and his quarterback. Uh, and I think sometimes yep. when you put somebody into a corner they they respond well, so we'll, I, I I'm gonna I, I agree with you. I think this is gonna be a bounce back game for them. It's not gonna be easy. I mean, Buffalo's a a, a better team than Buffalo's been in the past, but uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go all in on the Patriots this week. I think it'll be a very very telling game. 
losing last week to the 49ers and losing bad, you know, that, that's a team that was in the Super Bowl recently. If they fall on their face against the Bills, a divisional rival that they have typically beaten and beaten pretty easily, I think that would be very, very telling. I mean, they are very viable to make the playoffs. They have played a difficult schedule. They get a soft landing spot in the Jets next week. I can imagine them winning at Buffalo, winning at the Jets, and having momentum going into that game against Baltimore at home on Sunday night in mid-November. But if they lose to the Bills, they're going to probably beat the Jets, and they're going to be a big underdog at home against the Ravens. And, and I do feel like this is... This is a big game. This is a, a divisional game, and I think their pride is on a line to a degree. I, I, I look forward to to watching this. I also like the Patriots, but I liked the Patriots last week too, and, and that didn't turn out particularly <laughs> well. This is the Bearded Carcast with Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman. You can be a part of the show. Email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Follow us, leave a review. We're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, we're probably other places, iTunes. Um, We frequently talk about the Panthers on this show because you work with the Panthers and they're our local team here in Charlotte. I think they have probably surpassed expectations this year, particularly when you account for Christian McCaffrey's injury. I think going into the year, I felt that it it was a freebie for Matt Rule. I mean, first-year coach, former college guy, COVID. If they go 4-12 and and have a top-five pick, fantastic. If they go 7-9 and and show something, okay. No one really thinks they're a playoff team. No one really thinks that they're going anywhere. It's a building and figuring it out sort of year. I think they are at a very, very interesting portion of the season as well and particularly at the running back spot we are two weeks away from the nfl trade deadline and christian mccaffrey is about ready to come back from an injury and he's the face of your franchise i know at one point during the offseason i suggested trading him because i thought it was a complete rebuild obviously that is not going to take place but In McCaffrey's absence, the Panthers have, I don't know how you would phrase it, have they found something? Have they gotten lucky? Is the offensive line a lot better than we thought it was? What do you make of Mike Davis? I think Mike Davis has the ability, in my opinion, Dave, to be a great complement to Christian McCaffrey. And, And I wouldn't say... I could see them using a two-back backfield, but not necessarily in the traditional like eye where you have the fullback and the tailback. I think this could be more like a halfback, halfback, or halfback tailback situation where um, you don't now you don't know which direction you're going to go in with these two guys, and they both can be successful. Um, you have you know uh, Robbie Anderson who can stretch the field. You have DJ Moore who's solid in the middle, and now you got these two threats out of the backfield. Um, and I think what's interesting is because they, you know, the Panthers traditionally uh, have had good tight ends. Uh, you know, they had a, a long run with Greg Olson. Now they don't necessarily have the tight end, uh, but I think you can use these running backs in kind of a similar fashion, where you know you can put them out three, four yards, and they can get another four, five yards, six, you know, eight yards on their own. Um, 
So I think that's a it's a very exciting development that Mike Davis has um, kind of emerged and shown what he can do. And I think he can maybe take a little bit of the pressure off Christian McCaffrey. And when I say pressure, I don't mean like pressure of performance, but I mean uh, like stress pre- uh, uh, um, on the on the body. You know, he can. You know, you're still going to use McCaffrey. You know, for the, a bunch of snaps. But I think you can pick your spots when you give him a blow, maybe in the third quarter, so that you know he he's still strong in the. Not that he's going to get women. I that he's a freak of nature when it comes to his strength. But you, you're preserving, you know, one of your top assets, um, and you're giving yourself another weapon. I like everything you just said. If Mike Davis had two more years on his contract, but. He's making $3 million this year, and he's a free agent at the end of the year, and I don't know how you're going to justify spending a lot of money on two running backs, a position that we talked earlier about has been pretty significantly devalued. I don't think there's any future for Mike Davis with the Panthers beyond this year. I think he has been tremendous. I think he would work great as a complimentary piece, but I think his value is as high as it is ever going to be, and he's going to walk in free agency, and he should be traded. Well, I I think you're looking at this from a traditional standpoint, and I'm looking at this from just reading the tea leaves, and I could be wrong about this, and you may be, from a dollars and cents perspective, you could be 100% spot on. But when you look at, if you listen carefully to some of the things that Matt Rule says, uh, they want football players, and it's really interesting. I think if you spend some time and listen to um, a dozen or so Matt Rule press conferences, uh, he reminds me a lot of Coach Kelsey, Pat Kelsey at Winthrop, um, just in some of the thoughts. So I, I I, could see, let me put it this way. I'm not saying they are going to do this, but I could see them keeping Mike Davis around, maybe extending him. Um, it depends on how he fits into what Joe Brady wants to do. And I think if there's a grander scheme and there there's some things they can do there, uh, I think it's a possibility. Now, you may be right. You know, maybe you know, maybe if they they'd rather take that money and maybe go and get uh, you know, get maybe more of a veteran tight end, I don't know. Um but I I think this is a decision that'll be it's not going to be made right now. It'll be made, you know, after we see I mean, we're at, um, you know, we're only 7 games in. And we haven't really seen that what that tandem can do together. I mean, you know, what if they go on to a great run? I just run? see the, the, the trade deadline is coming. They're not going to the Super Bowl, and he's an asset you're going to lose for nothing. I think, you know, and again, I'm not saying he's going to be traded or even should be traded, but I think you can maximize value. What well, I will say Teddy this. Hold Bridgewater? on. Before we move on, because there's one thing I do want, just an observation from as long as I've been here. I couldn't tell you the last time – Marty Herney made a significant trade at the trade deadline. Now, now granted, trade deadline trade deadline deals don't aren't necessarily huge in football. I mean, um, it's not like baseball where you you know you have that. Well, you, no, you don't have it anymore. But you know you had that uh, th- that last stretch. Uh, maybe maybe get a guy. I don't I don't think you'll see something. I mean, you could and and if you know, hey, if he can bring in a haul of draft picks for Mike Davis, good for, go go for it. But I I don't I don't really that hasn't been the history um, here of of things like that happening. If you could get a fourth-round draft pick for him, I'd trade him because a fourth-round draft pick is valuable, and I think at the end of the year, someone's going to pay him more. What about Teddy Bridgewater? Three years, $63 million. He's been terrific. He's having an excellent, excellent season. And he's not terribly old. He's 27, and he 
hasn't had a lot of work because he's missed several years because of injuries. He missed all of 16 and almost all of 17 and most of 18. So, so it's not like he's got a lot of wear and tear on him. Is he the future at quarterback for the Panthers? I think potentially he can be. Um, you know, does he? can he be good for six, six, seven years? You know, I think a bridge guy would be end of this contract. Uh, I think some of this may be situational too, Dave. I think if um, – and I, I look at this from an opportunistic standpoint, meaning um, I think if the Panthers had struggled, as some had suggested, you know, if they were in that uh, Jets-Giants – uh, category, um, you know, I, I think, okay, then you got to think about, you know, is this an opportunity to get Trevor Lawrence and, you know, you know, maybe you groom, you know, obviously you groom him, you know, maybe it's kind of like what's going on at Miami. Maybe, you know, Teddy plays for a couple, a couple games and then, okay, you see, we got Trevor Lawrence. Um, I don't, you know, they're not going to be, unless something drastic happens, they're not going to be in that, that situation. Right. Uh, I, he fits in, um, he fits in to um, what Matt Rule likes to do. Um, this was an interesting story, and I forget um, which guy on the staff said this to him, but um, Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that has been on the mind of Matt Rule uh, even when he was at Baylor. Uh, he, he told the story of, uh, you know, he, he was talking to one of his guys, and they said, hey, if we ever go to the NFL, Teddy Bridgewater would be the perfect quarterback for what we do. So I, I think I think he is – he's he's at least, I think, the medium – to long-term future. I don't think he's a bridge guy, which would be no pun intended because his last name is Bridgewater. A bridge guy. <laughs> I thought he was a bridge guy at one point, but I, I don't think that anymore. I mean, he's pretty good almost every game. I mean, he, he's a reason to watch the team, and he's reasonably young, and I, I think he's got a lot of good football ahead of him. I mean, it, as in... Coming into the year, you didn't really know what he was, and you didn't really know how long he was going to be around. And if someone said, oh, man, our franchise quarterback just got hurt. We think we're a Super Bowl contender. Here's a first-round draft pick for Teddy Bridgewater. You'd certainly have to think long and hard about it, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. You might ask for another third or fourth to go with it, or you might just say, yeah, he he's our guy. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think the Panthers get a ton of national media play, and this certainly isn't one of the great Panther teams. I feel like he has been very under the radar, one of the kind of best surprises, best stories in the NFL this year. I mean, I think if, and I hate to play the if and but game, right? But uh, if he had, if they had two more wins, I think he's the rave of the NFL right now, nationally. I think they're talking about, you know, because this team was expected to do nothing. Um, and, and it's not it's not on the offense's fault. This team can score with anybody. I mean, they can they can put up points. Um, you know, their, their problem has been defensively, um, you know, particularly on third down, uh, they're not able to get off the field on third down. They've had several several opportunities in multiple games, Dave, where they've been in good position to make a play on third down, and the other team converts and then goes on to score. And you know, you know that's the that's one of the big things. You know, we talk about analytics. I mean, this isn't a this isn't advanced analytics. You know, your defense, you know, holds the other team under thirty percent on third down. You got a good chance of winning the game. But back to Teddy Bridgewater, yep. he makes great decisions. Um, you know, he is, he's a quarterback. You know, he, he is a, um, he's, he's got, I think he's got good vision. Obviously he's got a good arm. Um, and what I like, you know, what he's doing in this offense and, and this, 
I think is maybe something we need to talk about down the road about the offensive line, something to analyze or, or something to keep an eye on. But, you know, a lot of times when he has been scrambling, um, you know, he, he's he's doing it um, for positive yardage. And so, yeah, I think, you know, and he's 27, um, high ceiling. And I think, look, he, you know, this is the first time since he was in Minnesota that he's I mean, he last year he was he was the backup, right? So this is he. I think I think he's still on the upswing. Like I th- I still think he's learning and maturing and, and still has room to grow. I don't think we've seen a finished product by any stretch with him. It's amazing to think the Vikings had him waited through two years that he couldn't play because of injury, and then let him go and signed Kirk Cousins to that massive deal. And and I don't want to play revisionist history. I agreed with the move. I thought Kirk Cousins was the rare in his prime quarterback that reaches free agency. And I thought he was a, you know, maybe not top five quarterback, but top 10, top 15 quarterback and turn the, the tables three years. I don't know if there's anyone that would rather Kirk Cousins than... Teddy Bridgewater. Mm. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater looks pretty darn good. I mean, he looks very much like the player that people were excited about when the Vikings drafted him in the first round and when he started playing and played well. And that's not to say he was was great as a rookie, but he was competent and solid and he was i mean those were decent viking teams in the the mid 2000s or mid 2010s and and then he got hurt i I, i'm pretty bullish on him i think the panthers have have really found something there well and just my last thought on this you know if if this if this panther defense was more in line with the 2015 super bowl defense uh with this offense you know they'd be pretty they'd be pretty stout yeah, anytime you can put a really good defense together and almost nobody in the NFL has one anymore, yeah. that's uh, that's extremely, extremely helpful. Do you have anything else you would like to uh, like to talk about? Any any further thoughts before we close the door? Um, do you have a uh, do you have a Kim Kardashian 40th birthday meme or moment that or something you want to share with that? Or are you good? I recently had a 40th birthday, but I didn't have any of those sort of events take place. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it then. I got a bunch of apples. I, got, I, I, I missed your birthday. I'm sorry. Happy birthday. You, you don't need to be sorry. I don't advertise that. I don't really think it's a big deal. No, but I was at your 30th birthday. Oh, that's right. But I That's was right. not at your 40th yeah. birthday party. But I, it was that under just a goes pandemic. To, well, nobody was because it's with COVID. I mean, yeah. you, you know, we, we, we didn't quarantine for two weeks and fly to a private island. Are you surprised <laughs> to hear that? <laughs> well, with you two, yes, I am surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, no, uh, no you know, Tibet for you um, on your birthday. Yeah, I, I was talking to my friend Pete Thamel from Yahoo yesterday, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm driving back from winter basketball practice. And he said, in a year where everything is tenuous and <laughs> I know where this is going. it's nice to have a piece of normal. <laughs> yep. and, and indeed, you know, it, it's not quite the same. Everyone's wearing masks, and yeah. but it's it, it feels like something that you and I do, and it's it's good to get out there and, you know, I think – we don't really know what's going to happen with college basketball. I think I just saw 
uh, at least one team was it Bethune Cookman has opted out of the season yes. entirely. Yep. I still think we have the Ivy League that probably isn't playing until January, and I still think there's a lot of shakeup and movement and and changes and stops and starts to come. But well, keep an eye on Harvard too because to, uh, there there's talk of them not going back to school, yep. and if they're not in school, they're not going to yep. hold the team. So that would be a huge uh, yep. piece of news. Yep. And, and, and we're going to have that stuff as we go along. I mean, I know Wisconsin's football game this week is canceled. I mean, if you think it's happening with college football, it's going to happen with college basketball, and teams are going to be wiped out for a week or two, and that's going to take entire games, you know, two, three, four games off the slate. I think some conferences are building in some – some dates and some times for, for makeups. I, I have a hard time imagining there aren't going to be some leagues that are forced to send their, their regular season champion to the NCAA tournament because they're not going to be able to field a, a conference tournament. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of, a lot of things can happen, but um, it is nice to, to have it back to, to a small degree. No, I completely agree with that. All righty. All right. That's it. Send us an email. Beardedcarcast at Outlook.com. We almost did that in unison. That was very good. (laughs) (laughs) At Bearded Carcast is how you follow along on Twitter. And leave a review. What uh, are we going to do? Yeah, go ahead. What are we going to do next week? Are we going to to record on Election Day, before Election Day? Give it a couple days and wait until later in the week? I think we should maybe do what we did this week. Let's, uh, Let's audible and maybe do Wednesday again. Maybe we'll plan on doing one. We'll see. We'll see. We may, we may not want to leave the house on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Not that we're leaving the house we now, but leave. we might not. Yeah, we, exactly. we might, who knows what we're going to do? But rest assured, we'll do something. How about that? There you go. Is that fair? All right. Make sure you uh, subscribe. Yep. iTunes, Stitcher. We're also on SoundCloud, and you can email us beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Follow along at beardedcarcast. <laughs>